Morning. Y'all look good this morning. You look well rested. Extra hour of sleep and all, right? How many of you made it for to Sunday school with, for the first time since last year? <laughs> you thought you were coming for church and uh, you end up in Sunday school, yeah. You should fall back every week, right? Where'd Lewis go? Huh. If you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, we're going to examine a command. We're going to root it in the person of God, and we're going to turn it and apply it to how we ourselves should live. Really, that's kind of what we do every time we open Scripture. For us to rightly understand the Word of God, we look at what it says. We look at who God is, and we ask ourselves, How should I then live? How will my life be different because what God has said to me? Not not what God has seemed to say, what we we have uh, come up with in our mind, not what we have have gone and spent time and, and, and have this single by ourselves, quote unquote, revelation But what his revealed word, the truth of Holy Scripture, the authority that he has given us, what it says to us. Because if what you hear in your mind or what you think in your mind or what you feel in your heart does not align with Scripture, then there is a lie that is creeping in and we've got to go to the Word of God. So let's look at the Word of God together. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, reading down through verse 12. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not know, excuse me, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And in loving us, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray together. Father, so often in your word, specifically as we've walked through 1 John together, we come across this idea of love. This wonderful concept of loving one another, of living in love towards one another. Inside of the church, the family, the fellowship of God, but also, Lord, 
in the world that does not truly understand what love means or what love is. But God, so wonderfully and so beautifully, you have given us today in your word the reason, the perfect picture, because you yourself are love. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us, God. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Maybe if you are one that hangs on to words, you ask yourself the question as I close the prayer, what did we actually ask? There were a lot of declarative statements made and no sentence that ended in a question mark. What we ask is for God's love to abide and to remain upon us. That we would be a visible demonstration of what God has done. And I believe in this passage of scripture in 1 John chapter 4, we begin to see this a little bit more clearly. Clearly is the operative and the key word. The world around you is going to try to present a picture of love. Love is going to be based on how you make someone feel or how someone makes you feel. Love is going to be based on what you did for me right now in this moment. And maybe you've even read a book about how to speak someone else's love language. And that book is a good book. Don't believe me. Believe me it's a good book. But we've got to come to the truest form of what love means for us to be able to see this command that, uh, that John gives us clearly. He says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. He uses a command in what we would call a subjective, uh, subjunctive sense. In what he's drawing himself into the command and asking us all, just join together and let us allow love to move forward. And what he is showing us is that love is the chief attribute of the Christian life. If you are a follower of Christ, if you love Jesus, if you have been saved, if you've been baptized in the water, if you've asked Jesus into your heart, if you have made a decision to follow Christ... Love becomes the chief attribute, the chief quality, the chief picture, the number one thing that people should be able to identify about you. Notice what he says. Love one another because love is from God. We are to love one another because that is what God has ultimately given us is his love. We are living in love with God, in the love of God. And we are living in a way that demonstrates. And if our lives are marked by this kind of love, everyone sees it. Everyone sees it, not just when we're together. I mean, it's a lot of times it's easy to be that person of love when you get to church, right? Because you're supposed to be. You're at church. You got to be loving. You got to smile. You got to shake that hand. You got to pat that preacher on the back, make him feel good about himself. All those things that you're supposed to do, right? A little bit harder on Monday morning, right? When the boss man comes by, a little harder to be loving, isn't it? 
when the gum smacker in the office or at the work smack comes and talks to you, smacking that gum is a little harder to be loving, isn't it? But we live in this idea because of who we are in Christ that we've got the love of God on us. So that should be what is demonstrated to the world around us. It is the chief attribute. He does not say, be kind to one another. He did, because kindness is from God. Kindness is from God and we should be kind to one another. He does not say, don't kill each other because God didn't kill you. God has not killed you. You should not kill. That's good. All of these are governed by love. The way we live in relationship to one another. Think about the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, right? We'll go back all the way to Genesis chapter 20. Yeah, I'm going Old Testament on you this morning, folks. So get buckle up. Here we go. Genesis chapter 20, verse 1 says, Here, Israel, you've got to know who I am. I am the Lord your God. I am the one that defeated Pharaoh and I brought you out of Egypt. And because I have made this covenant with you, because I have rescued you, this is how you should live. And then he gives us 10 commandments, right? The first four deal with how we should love God. There is no God but me. Don't make for yourself an idol. Guard the, the name of the Lord. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. And the fourth one, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. These are all about how we honor God, how we love him. And then he goes to how we love each other, right? Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Do not commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Because you love people after you have rightly loved God. And so when the scribe comes to Jesus and says, ah, Jesus, let me, ta- let me ask you a question. What's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God your, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang all of the law and all of the prophets. Because we understand the love of God, the chief attribute of our life should be to love one another. Furthermore, John goes on to show us that when we have this, it shows that this attribute demonstrates that we know God. This attribute demonstrates that we know God, that we truly understand the living God, the Lord God. See, man, you're going you're gonna to reach, man, you're going to meet people out there in the tree. You already know them. I'm going to say that, I'm going to give this example, and you're all going to be thinking about Clara that lives down the street. You're going to be thinking about Jimmy that, that, you know, mows the grass three houses up. You're going to be thinking about them. Man, they talk about how much they know God, but man, they're some of the meanest people you've ever met. They, they talk about, oh yeah, I know God, I know God. But there is no demonstration of love in their life. They're all about themselves. They're all about selfishness and, and all about this conceit and pulling themselves in. And like, oh yeah, I know God, yeah, I know God. And you start trying to talk to them about the Lord. Oh, don't talk to me about Lord. I know Lord. You're the one that needs it. Blah, 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 blah. And they go on and on and on. And you're like, wait a second. See, what John says here in this passage of Scripture says, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who does love, who lives in this way, is born of God and knows God. It's kind of like a spiritual birthmark. You know people that have a birthmark? 
Especially if you know someone has the, a, a birthmark that cannot be overlooked. Some of us have little birthmarks that are kind of faint and nobody ever sees. But you know, if you ever met somebody that has a birthmark that you just look at them and it's the first thing you see is the birthmark. I have a sister that has a big birthmark on, on I can't, I think it's one of her legs. It's, you know, we were kids last time I saw it. But my, Braden, my son, he's got a faint, a faint birthmark right here on his side. It's very, very faint. If you, don't, if you ever see him without a shirt on, which you probably won't, but if you ever do, it's a little small one right here. Uh, you, can, you can barely see, but it's a mark that's there. Now, now, this is a spiritual birthmark to show that you have been born again, born of God, that you have trusted Christ. And this birthmark is the act of love that governs our motives, our decisions, who we are. Because it says here, the one who loves knows God and has been born of God. It's a sad day. It's a sad day when there are people that act more loving outside of the church than inside of the church. It's a sad day when the people of the world seem to have more compassion for the broken, for the needy, for those that, that are the least of these in society. When Christ Jesus himself came and said, these, the least of these are the ones that I'm asking you to serve. If you've done this for the least of these, you've done for me. That love that should, care, uh, that should carry us into the streets. But that love that should pull us together. Man, how, how, great, of, how great of an opportunity do we have to ruin the gospel of peace in the public eye than a church fight? Now, you just drive around. Drive around, look at the names of churches. You know, you, that church went through a church split and they named theirs Victory Baptist. You know, I mean, that's just what happens, right? You know, and so, so you go through this. There was no love. There was this selfishness. And if love is supposed to govern who we are, this attribute, it is to show that we truly know and understand who God is and what he did for us. Why? Because God is love. God is love. He says there in verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. Now, I want you to notice that John is very specific in the, word that, the ways that he words this. And he's particular in the way he phrases it. He does not say love is God. This, this is not the commutative property of addition where A equals B and B, you know, A plus B equals C. So B plus A equals C. Doesn't matter which direction you go with A and B, it's going to come out the same. Love is not God. Okay? L love is an attribute. Love is a descriptor. Love is something that can, be, that can be seen in or derived from, but it is not God. God is greater than just the love that he has for us. But make no mistake about it, God is love. God loves you and God loves me. And when we understand who God is and what he's done for us, we cannot help but to walk in love because God is love. John basically says it this way. You know who God is? Then love one another. You know God? You know how to love. But, oh, I, man, I don't know how to get along. Man, don't you teach your kids from the time they're like two years old to, or younger to how to get along with others, Right? 
Maybe the reason our kids don't get along is because they've watched us adults not get along. Maybe children, we, we like to put a whole lot of oh, kids these days. They don't know how to be respectful. They don't know. Maybe it's because they've watched us be disrespectful and disingenuous and not show genuine love to one another. I, some, sometimes kids really break us down to our most basic level, right? So I'm going to tell you a true story that happened this week. True story. We get in from the trick or, trunk or treat, right? You know, it's been cold. We've been out there in the, in the, in, in the, in the wind and, the, and everything. And, you know, we're getting back into our neighborhood and there are a bunch of trick or treaters out in our neighborhood and we're ready to get the kids in, get them washed up, get them to bed. And so we're like, hey, we're going to get in, we're going to get inside, we're going to um, get in, close the door, all that stuff. Um, and, and, and my oldest son, Braden, says something about, you know, well, there's trick or treaters out, you know, should we give them some candy? We're like, well, you know, we don't have any candy. We took it all to the church. And his response was, well, I'll just give them mine because people are more important anyway. Right? <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. The same children that will watch us as adults bicker and fight and complain and not demonstrate the love of God and graciousness of the mercy of Christ. And we wonder why society's crumbling. But he goes on and he asks us to see something else. He says in verse nine, by this, the love of God was manifested in us that God sent his only begotten son in the world that we might live through him. Because what we come to understand is that the gospel itself, the gospel is God's demonstration of how far, how far his love will reach. The gospel is how God shows us how far his love will reach. Okay, think about this. If we are commanded to love one another because God is love, we are by nature of the command to love one another to love in a similar fashion. If God's love is the model because God is love and we live in God's love and we demonstrate our understanding of who God is because he does love us, We've got to look at the most crystal clear picture that he can give, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. A few years ago, Congress passed a law that would require all TVs to be HD TVs, right? And several of you stood in line at Walmart to get one of those adapter boxes because not all of our TVs at the time were, were equipped for HD channels. And, or maybe you got an HD antenna and you had to connect it to this thing. And, and, and everything's like, people thought this will never work. What in the world's going on? Have you gone back and watched like an old TV show from before the HD days in not HD? And you're like, how did we ever watch this? It's all grainy. It looks like a two-year-old colored this. What's going on with the picture? I was watching something the other day. I, I, I believe it was uh, an old America's Funniest Home Videos um, that was clearly done on like a home camcorder, you know, the big one you put up on your shoulder like a boom box and, you know, or had a big tripod or whatever. And I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, are those people? 
And then you flip on the nine, you walk down the, the TV row at Walmart and you see all these big displays, this, this ultra 4K, high definition, everything is crystal clear. See, the gospel brings us into this ultra 4K, high definition picture of what love truly looks like. The world at best is going to be that scrambled, fuzzy camcorder at best, but God gives us something great. Notice what he says in verse eight. He says, this is how we know what love looks like, verse nine, because in this, the love of God was manifested in that God has sent his only begotten son. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the perfect picture of how far God's love will reach. And he gives us four examples of how far this love reaches. First, he shows us that this love reaches across eternity. It reaches across eternity. It says there in this passage of scripture, it says that it, in this, the love of God was manifested and that God has sent his only son into the world. From the, from the glories of heaven, from the glories of eternity, Christ Jesus stepped out of the place where there is no time into real time, to the place where he was already in the form of God and did not consider that to be something to use for his advantage, took on our form, stepped into our world. He came out of eternity into real life where we live. He would be willing to reach that far. There are some good ideas about God in false religions. That God is a big and supreme being. That there is an almighty force out there somewhere. But all of these thoughts fall short when they leave God up on the shelf, up on the unknowable level, because God himself, we understand through scripture, has come into this world where we are, and he would reach across eternity for us to know his love. Man, think about a God like that. That he would make you. That he would create you in his image. That he would breathe the breath of life into you. And that he would love you enough to not just set you out on your way, just to go and do your own thing. But to come into your world. To come out of his. He didn't owe us anything. He, he, didn't, he didn't owe us a trip down to earth. He loved us enough to make it. Not only does his love reach across eternity, this passage of scripture shows us that his love reaches past death. Notice he says there, he says he sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Through Christ Jesus, we could have life. You and I were in the realm of the dead. Spiritually, we were dead. We were dead people walking around. We seem to be alive because we breathe, we feel, we touch, we speak, we eat, we work, we labor. But spiritually, we were dead. We had no shot at life. We had no hope for life except that God loved us. 
And he sent his only begotten son. As John says, this verse you might notice sounds very familiar to John 3, 16, where he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish, not forever be dead, but would have everlasting life. God loved you enough to reach into your realm, the realm of the dead, not just come to the physical world, but reach into the realm of death and pull you to life. His love reaches past death. The third way his love reaches is his love reached before mine. I need you to see this very clearly. God loved you enough to reach before you ever knew you could reach. He says this in this passage of scripture. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He sent his son because he loved us, not because we were on our knees begging, send us a savior. Lord, send us a Lord, we'll love you if you send us a savior. Lord, I already love you, so send me a savior. That's not the case. We didn't know how to love God, but he sent his son, Christ Jesus, to die for us so that we could see how much he loved us and love him in return. He reached in love before you ever did. Y'all know I like to joke around a little bit about when Christian and I started dating. I'll tell you, September the 21st was our first date. And I'll tell you the same thing that Earth, Wind, and Fire wrote the song about us. They didn't, but I'll tell you they did. I reached before she did. I didn't ask her out because she was dropping hints. I was reaching. And she responded. God's reaching and we respond. God is demonstrating his love so that we can see how beautiful he is and say, that's the savior I need. His love reached for me when I was dead. His love reached for me when I was lost. His love reached for me before I knew that he loved me. Wow, that's a God. That's a savior. That's love. And then the fourth thing he tells us is that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word, propitiation. You probably will not use that at work this week. It's a big word, but it shows us that God reached, his love reached over sin. You ever see something dirty that you don't want to touch? But there's something there that you've got to get. So let's just say you're walking down. Let's just say you decide it's fall. We want to do something fun. We're going to go out here to the farm, to the pumpkin patch. And we're going to see all the the country goodies out here. They've got horses and goats and they've got chickens and all these great things. And you're walking down through there and your phone drops and it lands right there where an animal's been and you think I paid a lot for that iPhone or I don't want to pay for a new iPhone and you just kind of reach over gently to try to get as little of the dirty on you as possible you might even go and ask the farmer Do you have some sanitizer? (laughs) 
You might even think, well, I can get a new case for this. <laughs> That's how we approach things that we don't like, that we find disgusting. But the filth and the disgusting nature of our sin, God did not daintily kind of come over here and just kind of reach around. He reached right through it and grabbed it and grabbed us and Christ Jesus took it away. The propitiation means that he became the appeasement. He became the sanitizer. He became the only one that could handle the sin problem that we had in his love. The love of God reached over our sin into the mess of life where we were by sending his son Jesus Christ that is love that is a love that goes beyond what we might ever think fathom or believe that we could do for someone else God loved you that much and John leaves us with this, having shown us how much God loves us and how far God's love will reach with the command that we would love one another. He comes back and now we, we're going to ask. We've, we've talked about the command. We've talked about who God is. Now we're going to ask the question, okay, what do I do with it? How then shall I live? Simply this, my life is the visible display of God's love. Your life and my life is the visible display of this love. Notice what he says in verse 11. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Ladies and gentlemen, when we come to face to face to come to terms and come to grips with how wonderful and how deep and how mighty and how majestic the love of God for you and for me is. We can't help but love one another. We can't help but see all the issue and the problem and the brokenness in my life can be resolved when Christ's love and Christ's blood has been applied to it. So how can I not then apply that same love and that same blood to you and to our relationship? He says there, no one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us. Our ability to love is a visible demonstration to the world around us that we have a true and living God that loves us and doesn't just love us, loves the world around us so much so that this gospel that has cleansed us, this gospel that has saved us will save them too. Whether they're from overseas or from over there, whether they are from our neighborhood or from another town nearby, whether they drive like us, whether they drive a Ford or a Chevy, whether they fly Delta or Southwest, whether they eat tacos or whether they eat uh, curry chicken. He loves us. He loves us. So love one another. So love one another. This week, you're going to be given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to live in this love. And sometimes you're not going to feel like it. Just plain and simple. Christianity is not about what you feel like. 
Sometimes you feel like Burger King. Sometimes you feel like steak, right? Sometimes you feel like crab legs. Sometimes you feel like chicken noodle soup. Sometimes you feel like getting up and exercising. Sometimes you feel like camping out on the couch and watching TV. Sometimes you feel like you could, you could rule the world. Sometimes you feel like you haven't amounted to anything in your life. Christianity is not the love of God and the gospel is not about what you feel. It's about who you are in him. And so we start asking the question, When gum smacker comes up to you in the office, how far did God's love reach for me? When, 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 when the neighbor, when the kids, when your husband or wife, when that button starts getting not just pushed, but just held down, how far did God's love reach for me? When you want to roll your eyes and jump into that online debate over politics or religion or healthcare or whatever, because somebody posted for the 100th time something that you're like, why in the world would you do that? How far did God's love reach for me? And at the Lord's table is the perfect place where we find what God's love is truly about. We, we come together. And as believers, we celebrate and remember the Lord's Supper, the communion, not because it's like, oh, we've got to do this because he said, do this and remember me, but because we do remember what he has done for me, that he broke his body, that he shed his blood. Make no mistake about it. Christ Jesus, his life was not taken. It was given. He was in control of the entire thing from before creation began. He was in control of the time, the people, and what would take place to him. He was in control of every blow. He was in control of every one of the 39 lashes that he took. He was in control of every one of the thorns that pierced his head. He was in control of every strike of the nail that went through his hands and his feet. He was in control of the very last breath when he said, Into your hands I commend my spirit. And he was in control of resurrection day. Because his love reached that far into our lives to show us his grace, his mercy, his glory, and to draw us in. Once we were enemies, but now we get to come to the table of the Lord. So what about you? How far, how far has the love of God still have to go that you would see he's seeking to reach you? We're gonna have a time of invitation before we take the Lord's Supper, a chance for us to examine our heart. A chance for us to ask ourselves this question, where have I withheld love from someone and God has not withheld from me? Where am I living in enmity and strife? Where am I living in discord? Where am I living in, in, in disunity with someone when God has done everything to break down the barriers, break down the division, break down the walls that would so hinder our ability to worship him? Or maybe the question that you need to be asking is, why have I not come to this God who loves me so much? No one else has done for you what God has done in Christ Jesus. Come and trust him today.